but they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I got baptized at uh, Lake Minnetonka. Uh, I hit a couple backflips. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. My swag was having no swag. All right, everyone. Welcome into another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast. I'm CJ Baumgartner diving in to all of the Minnesota sports-related news of the day. And it's Friday, so that means it's a football Friday here on the 8th of October. And we are diving into the football matchup. So, well, I guess for the Gophers, it's a, it's a lack thereof. But the Vikings still have a pretty big matchup. And we talked about how last week was their biggest game of the season and the week before is their biggest game of the season. And the answer is that kind of every game at this point is just kind of going to be their biggest game of the season because they feel like they're about one loss away from a total collapse at this point. Because especially looking at the team that they're playing right now in Detroit, they look like a total collapse fest at this point. If they lose to Detroit, it's all over. And the thing about this game against the Detroit Lions is this game against Detroit feels a bit like a trap game, or at least it could be. I'm not saying it is. I don't think it is, but it feels kind of like it could be. It has the makings of a trap game because it's a divisional team. So they're a team that you play each other well. Even Zimmer said, you know, no matter the records of the teams, when you face a divisional opponent, it's always going to be a close game. It's always going to be a tough game. So you have to make sure that you're on top of your game. You have to make sure that you know what you're doing because these are teams, these are players that know tendencies. These are players that have gone up against your wide receivers more. They've seen more of your defenses, all that kind of stuff. I know it's a new coaching staff for Detroit, and a lot of the players are kind of reshuffled through, but it's just the general thing. They still have a few players on Detroit that have been there. And when you look at the Vikings right now, they're a team that's ripe for the picking in terms of a trap game because this Lions team has been playing everybody tough all year long. You look at week number one, they had a fierce comeback. They didn't uh, take the lead, but they made it a lot more interesting against the 49ers. Then they played the Packers well into the second half. Then they nearly beat Baltimore, if not for a 66-yard field goal. Are you kidding me? I mean, intense. So the thing is that with this, uh, that with the Lions, they've played teams tough all season long. Now they didn't look that good against uh, Chicago, but the point is. They have played a lot of teams tough. They have risen to the occasion in terms of when a team that's supposed to be better on paper comes in and uh, they go to play them. Now, granted, two of those games that they played well against were at home, but they're playing on the road in a hostile environment. U.S. Bank Stadium, you think, would chip into that, and it should. But here's the thing about the Minnesota Vikings and the Zimmer philosophy is that Zim teams in winnable games like this, games that you should just win. Like, it's not going to be close. You're expected to come in and win, no exceptions. Zimmer teams like this are content winning games like 24-17 or 24-20, 27-20, you know, something like that. They're okay with just kind of barely winning, kind of like the Gophers in non-conference matchups against non-Power 5 schools. Like, yeah, yeah no, 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 no. We, we know we're going to win. We know we're better. So we're not actually going to play like we're better. We're going to play just good enough to win. We're going to play not to lose. And it's like that's not exactly the philosophy you really want. I get that you're trying to save your players. You're trying not to open up the whole playbook. You're trying – I get that there's reasons for it. I'm not saying it's completely without merit. But honestly, why even just set yourself up for that? 
So that's what I'm saying. The, the Vikings are still going to win, but don't be surprised if they barely win because that's kind of what they're going for. They're going to just barely win. Just play it safe, get the win, run the ball too much, don't let Kirk touch it, don't open it up to pass, don't do all this stuff. Just barely win the game, just do enough to win, win 17-10, to 10 and call it good. And I don't think that there's anything, like egregiously wrong with it but I just think that the philosophy of it is not what you're shooting for and the thing is though is we all go back to the Buffalo game is that the thing the one thing that that Buffalo game in 2018 I know Buffalo is a lot better now but forget back in 2018 when they were expected to be really bad with a rookie quarterback they were capable losing to the Vikings when the Vikings lost to Buffalo it showed that they were capable of losing any game against any opponent and the biggest reason why is Kirk Cousins' volatility. And the Vikings did this last year. They lost to an Atlanta Falcons team that had looked awful all year long. And they did it at home, by the way. Now, granted, there are no fans in the stands. But you see what I'm getting at here is that there are no teams that are, you should just go and win. And the one team so far that was that throughout the entire, Kirk Cousins is up and down against good teams and bad teams. They had the 0-20 start against uh Denver a couple of years ago and they end up going back and winning that one but the point is that they have the volatility of going up and down they have the losing to Buffalo they have the playing terrible against the Bears with their backup quarterback in its soldier field they have that volatility about these teams where they just can barely eke out wins or they lose games that they should have and the biggest thing has been Cousins volatility with that I think because you never saw the Vikings do this in these kind of games. You saw them lose maybe close games, but that was more because of the volatility, or that was more because of, uh, that was more just because of the volatility of having a young quarterback and that you still had to kind of figure out who he was and you had to limit the game plan, all that kind of stuff with Cousins. That's definitely not the case. So the biggest thing with Detroit is the one team the Vikings were always able to beat, even with Kirk Cousins, was, and I'm not even saying Kirk's bad, I'm just saying he's very up and down, and you don't know when the roller coaster is going up or down. And the one place where it's always been up was against the Detroit Lions. Whether it was in Ford Field, whether it was in U.S. Bank Stadium, Kirk Cousins always played really well against the Lions. But those were the Matt Patricia Lions. The Matt Patricia Lions were eating too many snacks. The Dan Campbell Lions are eating too many kneecaps. So you need to see how this Dan Campbell team is going to be compared to the uh, Matt Patricia teams that were basically trying to get their head coach fired from the moment he walked in the building. So that's what we're going to have to see out of the Vikings in terms of a trap game and just see how they play with that. Zimmer is coaching for his job right now. He was all season long, but every loss is going to make it worse and worse and worse and worse. And here's why. They made the mistake of trying to be a contender when they weren't ready yet. Now this was at the end of 2019. They needed to make a hard restart after 2019, after you said goodbye to three of your starters in the backfield, after you said goodbye to Everson Griffin initially, after you said goodbye to, goodbye to Linval Joseph, you needed to hit the hard reset option on your team and just say, we're going to do a Seattle Seahawks, we're going to take like one or two years where we're going to be bad, but we need to kind of reset uh, the mold a little bit. We need to reset how we're doing everything because it's not going to work like this. We need to renew the core. And they were just weren't willing to do that. They just kept pretending that they were right on the verge of a Super Bowl window. And you saw that last year. And honestly, the Vikings looked like they were going to go in rebuilding mode. They drafted a wide receiver to replace Diggs. 
nice. It was Jefferson. It worked out beautifully. Gladney worked out horribly. But at the time, uh, you got to remember, you know, we're looking at it in hindsight. But at the time, uh, Gladney was a guy who had some potential as a playmaker. He was just a raw guy who needed development in terms of uh, football. But when you look at the way that they were making moves, it was like, okay, this is a team that like knows that they're probably not going to make the playoffs this year, but they hit a hard reset, they get a good draft pick, they kind of load it up, they rework the cap a little bit. But no, they couldn't do that. They just couldn't do that. And the reason why is Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman were playing for their jobs. And that's the reason why it just the last couple of years have just reeked of desperation, of just grasping, gasping for any kind of sign that they are turning the corner, and they haven't. And they're just stuck in this pit of mediocrity right now, are the Vikings. They made the mistake of trying to be a contender when they weren't ready yet, and the biggest sign of that was at the beginning of 2020 last season when they traded for Unique Ngakwe. That was a move where it was like, what are you doing? Like, why are you giving up draft picks? I thought you were rebuilding. Why are you giving it up for an edge rusher? The reason was is because they were losing Daniel Hunter. But honestly, if you were a team that's rebuilding, you should have rejoiced at that because, yes, we're not going to make the playoffs anyways. Let's let our star defensive end rest up, and let's try and get a better draft pick, and now we'll reload the defense with some talent and get an opportunity. But they just couldn't do that, and that's why they're stuck in this position. Zimmer is coaching for his job. He's been coaching for his job all season, but at every loss now at this point, it just makes it worse and worse. The desperation is going to get more and more. That's why Dalvin Cook is going to try and power through this, and he should, and we'll get to that in a second. But the the worst thing that could have happened for the Vikings now, now we're looking in hindsight, the worst thing that could have happened for them last year was them winning four in a row or whatever it was, going on that run in the middle of the season, beating up on all the bad teams that brought them back into semi-contention. They should have just waffled. They should have just flopped. They should have just not competed at all. They And Zimmer probably would have kept his job, honestly, if the Vikings, Spielman and Zimmer come in and say, we're going to be bad this year. That's okay. Let's be really bad and let's bounce back. But they couldn't do that because they could, and whether it's the ownership telling them they have to win or whether because they have the Cousins contract and so much money on the books, maybe that's it. But it's just not viable for that team to pretend that they were contending when they really weren't. They won all those games last year and it raised the hopes because they're like, oh well, if we would have just beaten Chicago, if we would have just beaten Dallas, we would have made the playoffs. Yeah, and. The Vikings team last I, – and I hear this with the – and before I get on to my next point, I just want to say they, they came so close to making the playoffs last year where everybody got so bought in on the hype. And rightfully so, they had some talent. They still had a lot of talent on offense. They just felt if they could fix the defense. But it got them into the hopes of that they're going to be an instant contender, and now they're just a fringe playoff team. But – and I hear this with the Vikings. They're, they're this play and a this play and a this play and a this play from being 4-0. But they're not. They're not 4-0. And you heard it last year with the Vikings. Well, if, uh, you know, if they, in week whatever, if they just didn't have this happen, they would have been this. And if they would have just, you know, you saw it last year with the Vikings fans as well. Oh, well, if uh, they would have just beaten the Bears, if they would have just beaten the Cowboys, if they would have just beaten the Falcons, if they would have just, uh, if they would have just ran the, if they would have just ran the ball, gotten that first down against Seattle, or if they would have kicked the field goal or whatever, decision you want to put on that if they would have held on to beat Tennessee whatever you want to say the problem is is they didn't and the problem is is that this year they didn't these aren't just all unlucky breaks and you rarely can you break a game down to a single play and that's just the thing 
the Vikings deserve to be one and three right now. If they would have ended up pulling out those games because they don't make mistakes, not even those plays we're all talking about, they'd be four and zero. If the Vikings didn't make the mistake of, if the Vikings didn't make the mistake of getting four offensive penalties on like the first drive, they didn't make was it ten penalties in the first half of the offensive line. If the Vikings don't make that mistake, they probably beat Cincinnati. If the Vikings play better in the two minute drill against Cleveland. They probably beat Cleveland. If Dalvin, you know, whatever. If Dalvin Cook doesn't fumble the ball, if Greg Joseph makes a field goal, but the thing is, is that they didn't. And this team deserves to be where they're at. And that's the thing. And that sucks to say because this is a talented team. They are a good team on paper. But the problem is when they actually get out and play the games, they can't finish. So that's the thing for the Vikings here this week that I want to say. And one last thing before I finish it off is that Dalvin might not play Sunday. Uh, He's questionable, that's the injury report, and he's going to push through because Mike Zimmer needs him to play because they need to win this game, and they're pulling out all the stops, and that's not going to be good for Dalvin in the short term because they're going to rely on a hurt running back, and that's not going to be good on Dalvin in the long term either because then he's going to, the injuries are just going to keep lingering and potentially get worse. Again, the goal is to get to 3-3. Three and three. If they get to 3-3, three and three, you can realistically see an option for the playoffs for them. And I hope that they win, and I hope that they beat Carolina, and I hope that they win because it's more fun. But I I don't know. I don't know if they can beat Carolina. They should beat Detroit. They really should beat Detroit. But don't be surprised if it's a 17-14 weird kind of score. All right. Now moving on here to the uh, – one more thing. Michael Pierce is out, by the way, for the Vikings. I said he probably isn't going to play on Sunday based on the way that they tr- were immediately trying to get extra bodies. That was a clear sign that they didn't think he was ready. And honestly, I'm okay with him sitting out Detroit. Heck, I'm even okay with him sitting out against Carolina if he misses the bye and then comes back for that gauntlet of games that they have, that gauntlet five-game stretch that they have coming right out of the bye week. I'd rather have Michael Pierce healthy for that than against Carolina. But we'll see. And taking a look now at the Gophers, they're on bye week. But uh, I want to take a look at a couple of the things, at a couple of things here with, uh, well, just really one thing. Uh, just because Viking segment went a little long. But the rest of the Gophers season is so winnable. We talked about that. We talked about it on Wednesday that the Gophers have a path here to get to the Big Ten West. One thing we forgot to mention is that Iowa's playing Penn State. If Iowa loses to Penn State, then the Gophers really have a chance. Because then even if they slip up somewhere along the way, even if they lose to a Wisconsin team, they can still, if Iowa loses, they still can beat Iowa head-to-head. So that's going to be an interesting matchup. Even though the Gophers are on bye this week, watch the Penn State Iowa game. If Iowa wins, they're winning the they're winning the they're winning the Big Ten West for sure. They won't beat Ohio State, but they'll they'll win the Big Ten West. But looking at the Gophers with Tanner Morgan, you got to trust him more. That's the biggest thing. And we keep hearing how much PJ loves Tanner Morgan, and I think that's true. How much he respects his play and the guts and everything. I think that's true. I think he really does like Tanner Morgan. And he wants to bring him back, according to Darren Wolfson of KSTP. I think that's fine. I think he's a game-managing quarterback. I think he can. I think that it's not the worst move in the world to have that happen, to have him come back. But you got to trust him more if you're going to do that. What's the point of bringing back a fifth-year senior if you're just going to treat him like he's a redshirt sophomore making his first start? I mean, I don't get it. It's not. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that you're doing it to – like this. And I get that you need to be run heavy. I get that you you know don't want to get too fancy. I get that he's limited as a passer. I'm not saying you need to open it up 50 times a game. I'm just saying you need to open it up maybe like 25 to 30. 
you know, just limit it a little more, be a little more balanced because teams sell out for the run and you're in trouble. And if the, and if Morgan is limited so much that you can only pass 15 to 20 times a game, then why do you want Morgan back so bad? Is he that good of a game manager that it's even worth it? You're not going to win anything if you can't throw the ball. As much as we need the pair and spare, the Glenn Mason trope, that is important, by the way. That is really important. You need a lot of running backs. And with Ibrahim going down, having pots and having uh, the other backup running backs is important to have. But you're not going to win against the the blue collar, the blue chip. You're not going to be able to win against those teams if you can't pass the ball, even just a little bit. You have to pass them enough to make them respect it. And I think Morgan has the capability of that, but he needs to have good wide receivers when he does it. And that's the other thing, too. What the heck happened to Chris Ottman Bell? I mean, he has fallen off a cliff this season. I know he was hurt for the beginning part of it, and maybe he still is playing with an injury. But we don't know that for sure. In college, they're never going to tell if they don't have to. But... Chris Ottman-Bell, looking at his uh, page here on sportsreference.com. Uh, this season, he has seven catches for 128 yards and a touchdown, which is fine. He's averaging about 18.3 yards per, I think that's yards per reception. That's good. The problem is, is he just hasn't done it enough. He's only played in three games yet. The Gophers have played five so far. He's missed two of them, and he's missed important ones. Even the ones he's played in, like the Bowling Green game, and I say important because they lost, meaningful maybe I should say, is because he was hurt, and he's been hurt. And I think that's affected his stuff. I don't think Chris Ottman Bell is bad. I don't think he's been washed. I don't whatever word you want to use. I think he's been hurt, and I think that it's been hurting the offense because Tanner Morgan, as good of, uh, you know, as I said, you need to trust Tanner Morgan. At the same time, he still needs good wide receivers to throw to. He's not a quarterback that can take bad talent and make him good. He's a quarterback that needs good wide receivers, and then he can play at a high level. So I think that when you look at Tanner Morgan, his best seasons were obviously when he had two NFL wide receivers to throw to. And then last season, you took away Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson for most of the season, and it was a wash. He was bad. And Chris Ottman-Bell is the equalizer. And I know P.J. Fleck just got a four-star wide receiver recruit. There are four-star – they can get wide receivers at the Gopher program. So get them to Tanner Morgan and try and open up the passing game a little bit. You had Rashad Bateman go to the NFL. That's a huge chip in terms of recruiting, and especially at wide receivers. Stuff the Gophers have not been able to recruit very well at. So that is your chance. Go – that's your chance. Open up the passing game a little bit. Just do it. They need to do the Gophers. They're on bye week this week, so it's a good time for all of them to rest up. But that's one thing to keep an eye on as they work closer towards the rest of the season and as they get ready for their next game against Nebraska, which I said all uh, the last week or two is they're a tougher team than you think it are the Cornhuskers. All right, looking here at the Timberwolves now, Ben Simmons the trade stuff has been put on halt, I think, uh, because the 76ers want to trade. They, at first, they wanted to trade him. They did because they just trashed him and it felt like it was time to move on, whatever. And then they didn't get the trade value that they wanted. And now they're kind of stuck and in, they don't want to feel like that they have no leverage. So now they have to pretend that they want him. And, you know, you see a report earlier this week that the Trailblazers turned down the Sixers proposal of asking for three first round picks and uh, another three sets of pick swaps. That's a lot. And Ben Simmons was willing to sit out. But again, the 76ers, 
they can't give up Ben Simmons for less than what they wanted. And they also don't want him on the team that much, but they still need him to play because if he plays for them, if he just keeps sitting out, the leverage goes to the other teams. It goes away from the 76ers. And if they can at least force him to show up to the team and be like, we're just going to make the other people blink first, that's what they're going with because the 76ers apparently are making some headway on getting Ben Simmons to come back because Simmons is looking at all the game checks he's losing out on for missing training camp, and it's adding up. And that's been a big thing that's been kind of pushing it over uh, over the needle, I think. it hasn't. Nothing has materialized yet, but there was a report earlier this week that Simmons, uh, Simmons's camp was basically starting to move forward because uh, the fines are hitting home. And they're starting to get to him and losing all that money. And that's the thing. Money talks. Losing those checks changes a lot of your perspective on that. Because it's all fun and games to talk about wanting out. But then once you start losing out on the million-dollar checks, it's pretty hard to say, I can keep doing this when you see $1 million. And I don't think we quite comprehend that he's getting fined hundreds of thousands of dollars for not showing up to work. It's insane. And... He's standing pat for now, but don't be surprised if as soon as the season gets closer, he changes his mind on that. And he still probably gets traded, but it's just a move by the 76ers to get more leverage in the situation. And for the Timberwolves, that's important because the Timberwolves were kind of hoping that the value would go so low that they could swoop in and not have to give up as much. Now they're still going to have to give a lot. They're going to want three first-round picks, and they're going to want a pick swap. And like I said, that's just too steep of a price for me. I don't want Ben Simmons that badly. I really don't want him at all, honestly. So, yeah, I don't know. The The Ben Simmons stuff is just kind of a mess. It's not as big of a mess as Jimmy Butler because Jimmy Butler is just a grade-A jerk. But it's still what, it still is it still is just a mess trying to figure it out. And the Wolves are trying to wait for something to happen. And I think you just have to move on and assume that Ben Simmons is not going to be a Minnesota Timberwolf. Wolf, Timberwolf, I know it's always so weird when they when they say that, but he's not going to be on the Wolves. All right, taking a last look here at the Minnesota Twins, and as we continue to go down here in our series, talking about uh, each position group, we've talked about the catchers, we talked about the first baseman, now we're going to talk about the second baseman here. And this is uh, really, it's very simple, but it has some layers to it, I think, with this position. The simple part of it is that Jorge Polanco is the man. He is the second base spot locked down for years to come, does Polanco, because he started off the season not playing well, and then all of a sudden, after like the first month, he became the most important player on the Twins. And I know that actually played, because Buxton was dealing with injuries all year, but Jorge Polanco, man, he, he has been coming along. He's been playing super well. He played super well this season. And the cheap contract he's on, it just makes no sense to do anything other than keep playing Jorge Polanco at second base until things change. He has worked his way not just into becoming like a nice player that you have. Jorge Polanco has turned into a pillar that you build your franchise around him and Buxton and Kirilov and all that kind of stuff. And Polanco, now that he's in, you know, he's completed what now? If you look at his service time, he's... uh completed his uh, fourth big league season, I think is what it was, or uh, not fourth, but you know what I mean. He's completed uh, a bunch of fifth or sixth seasons of baseball under his belt. And now that he uh, 
now he's kind of turning into more of that veteran leader type role. And now the young crop of players are coming up, and he's a good guy to keep facilitating that growth. Now, Jorge Polanco also had one of his best seasons, if not the best season of his career. I know 2019 was really good, but his second half wasn't as good as his first half. In 20, He had a higher war in 2021 than he did in 2019 when he started the All-Star game. Polanco just didn't play his best baseball right away. Polanco played his best baseball in 2019. In 2021, Polanco played his best baseball at the end of the season, towards the middle. Obviously, it didn't matter for the team, but in terms of planning for next year, that's exactly when you want a player to get hot. Jorge Polanco is going to be your second baseman. I know that maybe you move him over to shortstop because you don't quite think that Royce Lewis or whoever is ready yet. Just keep Jorge Polanco at second base. I think the Twins are very adamant on that. I think they're not going to move him. So he's going to stay at second base for the time being. His fielding is just not good enough to be a shortstop, first of all. And second base, you can kind of get away with not being a good fielder. So Jorge Polanco, second baseman of the future, and he's a stud for this team. He is one of the guys going forward. But speaking of a guy who's defense, who plays limited defense, who kind of got away with the playing at second base, is Luis Arise. I love Luis Rice. He's one of my favorite Twins players. His, hitting, his pure hitting ability is amazing. He just knows how to hit the ball. He knows how to wash the plate. He knows how to do all that stuff. He's a great slap hitter. And kind of in the loss of Maurer after he retired after 2018, Arise was a good player in 2019 to continue being that balance. And in 2020 and 2021, he's that balance. In a lineup full of sluggers, the Donaldsons, the Sanos, the Kirilovs, the Buxtons, the Polancos, the, all that kind of stuff, the Garvers. He was a guy that just slapped the ball. He slapped it into the gaps. He slapped it down the line, slapped it. I mean, he was a guy that knew what to do with it. And that's helped the Twins give their lineup a little bit of balance, and he can't quite pitch to them all the same. And Luis Rice now has gone into that super utility player, and I think that role suits him. He's a good one. And I think the reason that the Twins... Keep, I know that some people suspect that maybe Arise kind of doesn't really fit into the future plans. He's just kind of there because they don't really know what to do with him. Maybe he kind of gets packaged in a trade, whatever. I don't think that's true. I think with Luis Arise, he's going to be a good super utility player, and the Twins love having a super utility player. You saw it in 2019 and 2020 with Marwin Gonzalez. The Twins loved having a player that they just plug holes. Oh, what Kepler's day-to-day, -day, he's going to miss a couple days? I'll throw Arise in right field. Oh, what's that? Polanco's going to rest the knee injury? All right, cool. Put Arise out there. Well, we need Arise to play third. And Arise is limited defensively, as Twins fans learned last season, especially in Oakland. But it, honestly, it's fine because he's a good enough hitter. He's a good enough baseball player in general. And I think that the Twins just like players like that. They had Marwin Gonzalez, and then they also had before him, they had Robbie Grossman. He was that exact kind of player. Now, sure, he was mainly more of an outfielder and didn't really play the infield positions, but it's still just players like that that they love having where they can just stick them in many different uh, positions on the diamond, and then they can just rely on them night in and night out to just be a gamer. And I think that's that's what Luis arises. He's a gamer. He's a guy that plays well. And honestly, I think the Twins would be a, it'd be a mistake to get rid of him. And then lastly here, and I kind of lump him in with the second baseman because I think it's just a good time to talk about him, is Nick Gordon. Nick Gordon, his best, best path to being a big league baseball player is being a super utility player. He's not good enough to play short, as the Twins learned in the minors. He's not a good enough fielder to really make a home in any certain position. So his best bet, and he's not a good enough hitter either to where you can be okay with it, where you're okay with it like an arise. But 
he's he's just got to be a super utility player. There's no other reasonable path you can see for Luis Arise and or for Nick Gordon. Excuse me. His best path for Gordon is becoming that super utility player. And over the season, the Twins, you can tell the Twins don't really care about Nick Gordon based on the way that they just kept sending him up and down and the way that they just kind of stuck him everywhere and played him and whatnot. He really doesn't have a future with the Twins, one, because Falvey and Levine didn't draft him, and two, he just hasn't been that good. So there's no incentive to give him those extra plate appearances other than the fact of just seeing what you have, and the Twins have made up their mind on Nick Gordon a long time ago. He's just a guy who's eating up space, and a lot of the time in 2021, he was just a guy eating up space on a bad team to try and protect their young guys. And that's honestly what he's going to be with his time with the Twins. And he's not going anywhere, because he's still very cheap, because he's on his rookie pay scale, or he hasn't hit the service time to become a free agent yet. So they're not getting rid of him, but they... We needed to get more at-bats for uh, Nick Gordon. He got those more at-bats, and I think you just kind of learned he's a very limited player that can play at the major league level, but is definitely not a starter. He has no long-term future being a piece of an organization. His best bet is just to be a veteran that kind of just bounces around finding teams and finding, you know, finding his way to be a reserve player or a rotational guy on teams and try and make the most of it. I don't know. That's not a knock on him either. Better than I could do. But... That's just what the future looks like Looks like for Nick Gordon. He's just too scrawny to play. He had a lot of injury history in the minor leagues. It just never worked out for him for a top five draft pick, by the way, uh, failing for the Twins. All right, well, last thing I want to touch on on the podcast, and then we'll wrap it up here, is it's fun to see Nelson Cruz, who had a three-run, well, I want to say bomb, but he hit it into the catwalk. Whatever. Nelson Cruz had a three-run bomb yesterday for the Tampa Bay Rays as they beat Boston five, nothing. And honestly, it's nice to see, um, some former twins doing that success. And I know people are like, well, how come Nelson Cruz could never do that for the twins? The answer was he kind of did. He got a double. He, I think he had the twins only run. He had the twins only RBI in the playoffs last year. And now granted, he hadn't looked great in 2019, but Nelson Cruz was far from the problem. And we all know it. It's just kind of, uh, it's just kind of that, like you see a guy succeeding, that was with you and you're like, well, and you just kind of feel that, not jealousy, not like envious, but you just kind of, I don't know, you just kind of are like, how come you couldn't do that with with us kind of thing. And the same thing goes for Ryan Presley as well with Houston and who's been, ever since the Twins traded him in 2018, that's one that the Twins should want back desperately. Presley is one of the best relievers in baseball. Has a two and a half ERA out of the bullpen in a tough AL West. Man, he's good, and the Twins are very regretful. They have to be that they let him go because the Astros took him to another level. All right, so I'm going to finish this off here. I'm not going to give a full playoff bracket prediction. I will say the White Sox are a paper tiger. They're going to lose, and that's the biggest thing. I think Tampa is going to just plow through the American League. It it'll, might be a competitive ALD, ALCS between the Rays and the Astros, but whoever wins that – I mean – I think it's going to come down to, I think, honestly, you'll either get a rematch with Tampa Bay and L.A., or you'll get Tampa Bay and San Francisco. Either way, I think this year Tampa Bay ends up winning it all. I think they do. I think they got the pieces. That Randy Arozarena, man, that steal of home was amazing. Baseball needs more players like Randy Arozarena. They need more dudes named Randy. That's just Baseball is more fun with players like Arozarena and the plays that they're able to make on the diamond, and they're players that every franchise wishes that they had 
a Randy or Rosarena. I wish the Twins had a player like that. A player, and it could be Buxton. Now, now a Rosarena has more of that kind of, kind of, he's not like a pillar of your franchise. He's just a solid player for your team. Buxton could be that guy. He could be the guy stealing home plate. He could be the guy making plays. He hasn't been able to stay healthy, but that's what it should be in theory. But seeing guys like Randy or Rosarena make plays like that in the postseason, when all the people are watching, it's just a lot of fun. I think Tampa Bay wins the World Series this year. I'm rooting for them because they have Nelson Cruz and because of some dude named Randy. All right, that is it for the Minnesota Sports Podcast. We'll see you on Monday when we talk about the Vikings, recap that game against the Lions with a stock up, stock down, and a whole lot more. We'll see you guys on Monday. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.